Good evening, this is Farnas Fatemi of the Hive Poetry Collective, and you're listening to KSQD 90.7 FM. Although we're coming to you from a distance, we are really happy to be here together and to share some poetry, some conversation about poetry, and some interesting poems tonight. This, the episode consists of two segments. We will be begin the episode with a, a segment entitled Why Do Iranians Love Poetry? produced by our colleagues in San Francisco. And the second part of the show will include our ongoing segment, Poetry in the World, and we will be talking to a dancer, choreographer, and poet. The end of the evening we will have our regular poetry calendar and news, and so we hope you enjoy all of the parts of tonight's episode. Our first segment this evening is hosted by a special guest, Shabnam Piryayi, a writer, filmmaker, and assistant professor in the Broadcast and Electronic Media Arts Department at San Francisco State University. She produced this piece, Why Do Iranians Love Poetry, about the relationship between poetry and Iranians, those in Iran and those who are diasporic. I am powerfully tied to the demise of nectar, to the creeping sandpaper storm even after the poppy, broken to her lips brimming with blood, manages to smile. Someone has painted two deer, unraveling the entrails of a lion to remind me of our inconceivable range. It's no secret that Iran has a special relationship with poetry. Rumi, Hafez, Khayyam, Sadi, Furukh Farukhzad, most Iranians I've encountered, no matter their age or profession, when I tell them I'm a poet, something changes in them. They're more curious and invested in the exchange. Often they tell me they also write poetry or they start reciting memorized verses. This has always struck me. The way poetry isn't just part of my heritage as an Iranian, but also a characteristic of everyday Iranian life. At the International Conference on Iranian Diaspora Studies, hosted at San Francisco State, I asked some conference participants about their relationship with poetry. Interdisciplinary artist and writer Gelore Khoshkozaron says that she herself writes poems, reads them, and like many Iranians, grew up with poetry. Well, like, that's part of the vernacular. That's how your dad talks to you, by quoting Hafez or something. I figure I can capture an example of this in real time pretty easily by calling my own dad and recording the conversation. Hello. When he answers, though, there's something gloomy in his voice. Uh, 
He tells me that he just learned an old friend passed away. I decide, not despite his grief, but maybe because of it, that I'll ask him about his favorite Hafez poems. He tells me there's a Hafez book right in front of him. And once he starts reading, the poems begin to sort of activate him. So that by the next day when I call again, because he wanted more time to find more poems, he sounds almost vibrant. It's not worth it to be uh, unhappy all the time. It's not worth it even a moment to be sad. My dad was the first person to introduce me to Farouk Farouksod's poetry. Farouksod was a poet and a filmmaker, and by far the most well-known and translated Iranian woman poet ever. And she's someone whose artwork and surrounding discourse is perpetually trailed by tabloid-esque personal details of her life, something that Iranian men poets just aren't subjected to. Farouksod's poems and film continue to resonate with so many Iranians, both in and out of Iran. Certainly in addition to the beauty and depth of her writing and the boldness of the content, the accessibility of her language is one reason her poetry still resonates with Iranians of all ages, including those who were born outside of Iran or, like me, left Iran at a really young age. For most of us whose primary language of Farsi was displaced with the languages of wherever we immigrated to, the classical language of such poets as Hafez and Rumi just felt inaccessible. Writer Jasmine Darznik, author of Song of a Captive Bird, a novel about Farouk Farouksod's life, echoes this sentiment, saying that it wasn't until she encountered Farouksod's poetry in college that finally... Felt that there was an access point in. And it's more than just linguistic accessibility in Farouksod's poetry that draws in so many readers. Yal Dohamidi, a doctoral student at Stony Brook University, tells me that for many women living in Iran, Farrokhsad helped us there saying the unthinkable or thinking the unthinkable. She's that woman in my life. So if I want to name few women in my life, one of them is Farrokh. Next to my mom and my aunties. <laughs> It's also important to point out, as Gelore notes, Farouksad is the only famous and talked about Iranian woman poet in a sea of internationally recognized men poets. And simply put, I wish she was not the only one though. The reality is that this gender disparity in poets who are historically celebrated impact readers' relationship with their literary heritage. Jasmine tells me that in her family, poetry... It was always deemed the, you know, the highest art, the exalted art. And the conspicuous absence of more renowned women is not lost on Jasmine. Um, somehow I had the feeling, even as I was growing up, that it was a very male legacy. For many Iranians, poetry isn't just a common language of communication. It's a meeting place, a place where you return to for insight. And like my dad, healing. And it's also a place we visit for affirmations of our diversity and our complexity. As Yaldo Hamidi says, Iran is not one thing. Not everybody is Fars, not everybody is Muslim, 
not everybody has the stable gender. And Shireen Wyatt, a conference participant, points out that poetry should be, in many ways, subversive. I think before you're a poet, you have to be an activist. She says that the diversity of voices, especially in contemporary diasporic Iranian poetry, is critical in showing the diversity of Middle Easterners. When she first read the poetry of Iranian-American writers and anthologies like A World Between, edited by Persis Karim and Muhammad Khorami, she thought, Wow, because I'm reading and I'm hearing all of these references that I actually kind of get. And I'm going, wow, we, we have a voice and we, we can use this voice and, it, and language isn't actually a barrier. Something was said yesterday actually at the conference that we have to be careful when we're writing European languages about the Middle East. And I was thinking, no, we, we have to write in all of these languages. We have to make sure that people can read about, uh, like, from our voices and our points of view. It's the, it's the multiplicity, it's the, it's the difference that we can bring. For some Iranians who don't really see themselves represented in Western depictions of Middle Easterners, Iranian poetry, poems written in Iran and abroad, offer a more complex and autonomous authorship. Jasmine tells me that poetry by women poets like Farrokh Saud and Simin Behbahani, as well as poems written by diasporic poets. It offered a counter-narrative to what I saw in the American media about Iran. And this burden of representation is something Shireen feels even when she writes poems. When you speak a poem, um, you don't want someone to go away feeling like they know everything about um, a Middle Eastern woman or an Iranian woman. I'm not trying to offer a single answer for what poetry means for all Iranians. Or for anyone, really. I don't believe in that. If anything, one thing that draws me to poetry as a writer and a reader is that it's a radical storytelling mode that challenges absolute and singular answers. I think it disrupts knowledge as containment or knowledge as possession. And I guess I just want to explore that encounter. For many Iranians, poets like Hafez, Farrokhzad, and so many diasporic poets offer generous geographies to which we can always return no matter where we live in the world, whether or not we can return to Iran, whether or not we've even been there. For many of us, poetry simultaneously conveys our commonalities with each other, while also insisting on our inconceivable range. That was Shabnam Piryayi, guest producer for tonight's show, with her piece, Why Do Iranians Love Poetry? You can find out more about the segment on our blog, hivepoetry.org. Again, you're listening to the Hive Poetry Collective on 90.7 FM, KSQD in Santa Cruz. I am your host tonight, Farnaz Fatemi, and I'm so happy to be with you. We move now to our interview for the evening, a new episode of Poetry in the World. This interview was recorded before we were sheltered in place, although in some way I was sheltered in place with nine other artists at a beautiful spot on the ridge above Highway 1 and La Honda at the Jurassic Resident Artists Program, where I met Mara Poliak, 
and recorded this conversation. Let me tell you a little bit about them. Mara Poliak is a dancer, artist, writer, collaborator, and teacher living in Oakland, California on unceded Chuchenyo Ohlone land. Their performance, practices, and pedagogy center the commons, human and non-human lineages, queer solidarities in decolonizing and liberation work, and the body is a complete site of knowing. Long-term collaborators include Leighton Lachman, Margaret Gallanter, Francis Rosario, Hani Bockwinkel, Abby Crane, and the Cave Coast Collective. Mara is a founding member of Salta Collective, which began as a free monthly mobile performance series and continues as a group of interdisciplinary artists organizing a yearly residency in rural Northern California. As the interview began, I learned that one of Mara's earliest favorite poets was Diane de Prima, and they provided this poem now of de Prima's to speak to, quote, the current situation of isolation and connection, government misinformation, and networks of community care, to speak to the question of how to be in one's integrity in this time. This poem is Revolutionary Letter Number 1 by Diane de Prima. I have just realized that the stakes are myself. I have no other ransom money, nothing to break or barter but my life, my spirit measured out, in bits, spread over the roulette table, I recoup what I can, nothing else to shove under the nose of the maître de jeu, nothing to thrust out the window, no white flag, this flesh, all I have to offer, to make the play with this immediate head, what it comes up with, my move as we slither over this go-board, stepping always, we hope, between the lines. And that will lead us to the interview I conducted last November. Please enjoy. I want to welcome Mara Poliak to the Hive Poetry Show. Thank you so much for being here, Mara. Thank you for having me. Yeah, and I, re- I really appreciate you taking the time and talking with us about poetry. Um, and we met here at the Jurassic residency and I started to understand that despite mostly focusing on choreography and dance here you actually are a poet and a poetry reader and writer Um, and I want to talk to you more about that today so um, I, I start all the interviews asking people about how they came to poetry so if you wouldn't mind thinking about how poetry came into your life and how your relationship with it has evolved and changed. Great. (laughs) Thanks for the question. Um, So, yeah, I guess I initially I grew up just in a house where my parents are both really big poetry appreciators and had a big poetry collection. And also my dad has not so much anymore, but throughout his life written a lot of poetry and has shared that with me, which is Mm. kind of special and fun to get to see his like writings as like a teenager or as like a young adult. Anyway, so, um, Oh, he's, he's shared what he wrote when he was a teenager. Yeah. He's shared his writing with me. Um, and so I, 
yeah, I feel like well, my parents are both educators, but I but I feel like they're this kind of a little bit speaks to what you were saying about working in different forms and have like letting them all be there because mm-hmm. I feel like they they both very much are like yes we love writing and drawing and appreciating all these different forms and so yeah I so I grew up feeling like there was poetry around and, and that that was natural to like move around yeah and and care about different kinds of things yes yeah exactly oh. exactly yeah and I I don't know. I mean, I think I also had like great writing teachers in like elementary school and like got to write poetry as a child and got really excited about it. And, you know, so just like, yeah, having that be. Were other people getting excited about it when you were at that, like as a kid? I wonder. I'm not sure. I mean, I know I was very excited. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I don't know. It's a good question. I definitely had some friends that I would write with as Mm, a kid. And, um, this is not exactly poetry, but every year for Christmas when I was growing up, I would like, I think maybe one year it was a poetry book, but I would like make a book. My dad would help me make a book and give it to like all of our family and friends for Christmas. So I was like, yeah, I grew up being like reading it, writing Mm. it, just like being in, in the language, language world. That's, that's great. That is so cool. Would you have siblings? Yes. So did they also do the book thing or was that just no, you? No, it was just something, yeah, something that I so was, was very clearly you were interested in it. Interested and in. They yeah. Supported you. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, so do you remember early poem, reading early poems that you loved? I mean, I think, yeah, I definitely, maybe I didn't mention this yet, but the, um, my parents had a large collection of like beat poets and I definitely got very into them. And I, I know, I don't remember really as a young child, what exactly I read in terms Mm -hmm. of poetry. I think I may have also read like children's poetry, you Mm -hmm. know? Um, But I know that, yeah, in high school, I was obsessed with the beats and I did my like senior paper about women in the beats and like, anyway, so like, and read a lot of, like read a lot of Diane de Prima and um, yeah, I mean, she was kind of like, I definitely was like really focused on her for a while oh, okay and her work uh-huh. yeah and um and then what did you do in you went to college yes um, um and did you study writing I did actually I, I studied creative writing and dance so okay. yeah so as you mentioned I'm kind of like a, I'm a secret poet like I yes. I do write a lot and always have but I think the like the form that I feel like generally makes sense for me to share with the world is more in performance and in Mm. movement. Mm. Um, But I often, writing can be a part of that, like texts that are read or used in performance somehow or anyway. So yeah, I feel like there's there's definitely a lot of conversation between these forms for me. And did you feel that even even early on, like in, in college when you were doing both, did you feel the connection between the two worlds so yeah I think so I mean and I yeah I was definitely like studying both intensively Mm -hmm. I didn't necessarily combine them really directly in terms of performance Mm -hmm. but I think that I was yeah I was like yeah feeling their connections so can you do you think you could say as a as an artist what role poetry has for you as sort of in your in your artistic practice now like 
poetry in terms of writing that I do or that I read either. or either and you can answer one of both of those <laughs> cool <laughs> or neither you don't have to answer it <laughs> thank you um I think I don't know I think it's just such a for me it's a very visceral form in terms of I mean I would say maybe especially in terms of reading I feel like I get a lot from reading poetry. I basically, maybe we were talking about this at dinner the other night, I, I don't really read novels. I basically just read poetry and I read nonfiction, mm-hmm. like cultural studies or philosophy. or um, So those are like the, in terms of reading that I do, those mm-hmm. are the worlds that I'm in. And yeah, I mean, sometimes from a book I read, I'll just get a line and then I, that stays with me mm-hmm. for months and months and months. And I feel like it, it's not necessarily that I'm directly using it in work, but that it's informing mm-hmm. maybe how I'm thinking about things. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah. Mm. And then, um, and then what about writing? Um, I how do. That, and it's, yeah. and I know you probably don't only write poetry. You probably write. Right. Other, just. Right. I mean, a lot of too. like journal barfing as we all do um yes (laughs) and but yeah I do a lot of writing that I feel like is thinking through ideas and recently so my partner's a poet also Mm -hmm. so I feel like that is just then poetry has been even more present in my life Mm -hmm. in that way but um I recently came to this realization for myself or at least what I'm trying out right now I was talking to them the other day and I was like maybe for me the writing that I share is like handwriting. Like I, I, <laughs> I really like writing, like the actual physical oh, act of writing. Yes. Um, and I have a practice of like writing with both hands at once and also oh. writing with my non-dominant hand. Mm. And like, so that's actually been, in terms of my artistic practice, yeah. there's been a lot of that. Not so much writing things that then get typed up and then mm-hmm. go somewhere, but this kind of like, yeah, the yeah. physical act of it and these different ways to be bodily with writing and is it is it um are you thinking specifically about the language as you're doing that writing oh yeah definitely yeah so are there not do you do do you choose things to be writing by hand or do you are you making the thing as you're doing it both I would say sometimes yeah I would say it's a little bit of both but sometimes it's yeah sometimes it's just that I I'm thinking of it as I'm doing it I mean I also really I also love drawing and painting and I also draw and, and paint in that way too. And actually Leighton, my collaborator who I'm here with, we've been doing a lot of painting with both hands. So, oh. <laughs> And I, I want our things. listeners to understand that as Mara has been um, talking, they've been using both hands <laughs> and gesturing what it looks like to be writing in the air, but with both hands in a mirror and sort of mirror images. Right. Um, <laughs> just because it's it's physically clear that you're thinking about the writing coming out of both of those hands as you're right, going. And right. I think it's, it's really interesting <laughs> for me to see, and I want our listeners to understand that too. Um, what do you think it is that, that what, what, what unleashes when you do that? Or what, is there, I mean, I think that's a hard question. Mm-hmm. I'm not, I just am so curious about it because it seems like a very, it seems like a great physical practice. Sometimes I stand when I've been writing for a long period of time in mm-hmm. a day and I'll go stand on against the wall and write upright against the wall. Mm. And I often compose with my, with ink and 
and utensils. Um, so nice. Uh, yeah. yeah. So I know <laughs> what you're same, talking same about. Club. And so even when I'm doing that at the desk, I'm like, this is I need to move. And but what, yeah. so I feel like I have the impulse to move, and that somehow like changes my perspective or mm-hmm. just gives me a different way of thinking about the even those specific words I've been working on. But I wonder if there's something that you notice that happens when mm-hmm. when you think about or when you're practicing that. And if that's related to the movement part of your practice. Yeah, dance or... I think it definitely is. I mean, I think it's just like a very specific way of being embodied and being with my body. Um, and I feel like, I mean, this, the writing with both hands and with my non-dominant hand, I've been practicing for a while, but it also specifically has been developing in relation to a project I've been doing, which is that kind of for the first time ever for about the past two years, I've been going to the studio by myself once a week, but still collaborating with kind of whoever shows up, not literal people, Uh, but, (laughs) um, and so I feel like the working with two hands or working with the hand I'm not used to working with helped me in a way be feel like I'm actually in collaboration or I'm not just in my, like my usual way of writing and thinking with my usual, you know, like yeah. it helps me be more in tune with other things. Uh-huh. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. Yeah. That's really interesting. Yeah. Oh. So I think that's, that's a big part of it of just like, actually like, like my left hand doesn't really know how to spell and <laughs> like, and doesn't write in the same way and doesn't think of the same words and like, mm-hmm. doesn't, you know, and like, be, yeah, so that's like it's allowing space for that kind of unknown. Tapping into other things that we're not, we don't, maybe you didn't train yourself to tap into, like, or that you're right. used to, or like right. the, the default mode of paying attention. So it's sort of allowing yourself to pay attention to some other things. Right, right. It's Is like, in re- yeah, definitely, okay. I agree. Yeah, it's <laughs> kind of like in in relationship with this idea of just like unlearning all the things that I've learned also so that mm. I can so that I can be in new ways mm. of of being. <laughs> I want to remind our listeners this is KSQD 90.7 FM. I am Farnas Fatimi and you are listening to The Hive Poetry Collective. We will return now to my interview with Mara could is there a way you could could you describe for us like if you're in your studio do you do dance and then move to writing and then move back into like does any of that happen I don't I don't know what to picture Mm -hmm. Uh, and I wonder if there's any if there's a um a sequence that happens for you or do you just wait and see (laughs) it's it's again like a little bit of both (laughs) like all my answers but um I would say, yeah, there's not necessarily a, a super set sequence, but I often will show up and I'll write maybe some things that come to mind of like where I might want to go that day mm-hmm. um, in terms of my practice. And mm-hmm. then, yeah, then usually I'll, I'll move and then I'll write and then, and sometimes mm-hmm. go back and forth too. Yes. I mean, I really, I love going back and forth between writing and moving. I do that a lot just mm. as a practice wow. in terms of like... Again, like just being embodied in different ways and using my brain and my body in different ways. Mm-hmm. And I mean, which I think the mind and the body are the same thing, but <laughs> um, yeah. 
that's that's useful. That's what I was curious. <laughs> I really was curious about that, yeah. and it seems it, it's it, it's really interesting to imagine. Um, maybe this is a good time to hear a poem. I know you brought a couple that of poems that you people you like or or poems yes. that have moved you. Um, who do you want to start with? Um, maybe so. Yeah. So we're here at this residency, and I just I looked through what books I have with me. I brought mainly. I brought books of people who. Um, I mean, these are translated into English, but I'm I'm trying to practice my Spanish, so I so I brought <laughs> books that of, by Spanish-speaking writers. Um, but I brought this one, which is the title is um, "Intervenir" or "Intervene" um, by Dolores Dorantes and Rodrigo Flores Sanchez, and um, they're a collaborative, they, or they both write on mm-hmm. their own, mm-hmm. um, but they collaborate on this book, and it's really unclear who wrote what, like mm-hmm. it's, it's incredibly intensely collaborative. Um, and I'm really interested in that also because I, I can't help but collaborate even when I'm alone in the studio, as I mentioned, <laughs> and I'm here with my collaborator at Jurassic yeah. too. So I was interested to bring this book and look at it more. Mm. I think it's really beautiful. Mm. Um, and something that won't be visible on the radio, but that in this book, there's actually three different fonts. So I feel like that also oh. really like, or there's like, well, I don't want to rustle too much, but I'll look in a minute. Uh-huh. But it, I think it's all caps and italics and um, regular. So three different styles, yeah. um, which really further complicates this idea of two writers. And right. You really can't. So you can't know like, oh, maybe one of them is person in italics and one of them is person in all caps. But it's like very, yeah, I feel like this book just becomes more and more complex as you go. And I'm, yeah, I'm just really interested in shared authorship and... Mm. Um, collaboration in general mm-hmm. so yeah so great so you're gonna make them here read from this book inter intervene interveneer translated by jen hofer i will i'll i'll hopefully have okay pronunciation and read the spanish first and then read the english translation. great um all right todo ha desaparecido hay registros marcadores pero todo ha desaparecido hay traducciones Escúchalos, piérdelos. Pero todo ha terminado, aún sin comenzar. Ondean la bandera de las bocas. Engrapados al relato, decimos nuestras cosas. Querida bandera de las bocas. Querido cuerpo, querida flama, díganme canciones de baldío, tonadas de una cierta complicidad. Habrá que situar el relato. ¿Nos conocemos bajo tierra? Pregunta, Paloma. Pregunta, nadie. Everything has disappeared. There are traces, signs, but everything has disappeared. There are translations. Listen to them. Lose them. But everything has ended even before it began. Ripple in the flag of mouths. Stapled to the story, we say our things. Dear flag of mouths, dear body, dear flame, tell me the songs of vacant lots, tunes of a certain complicity. We'll need to situate the story. Do we recognize each other underground? Question, dove question nobody beautiful thank you for reading that both versions were lovely 
Thank you. <laughs> yeah. um, do you, is there anything you want to say about that poem that, um, why you picked that one of in the book, um, or how it, what you love about it, mm-hmm. um, what you notice about it, anything? Yeah, I think this idea, I mean, I feel like they, I feel like it edges on ideas about, about translation and the impossibility of translation and also I feel that in some ways they're talking about collaboration and mm-hmm. also and complicity and also I mean this the whole book itself I feel like also kind somewhat obliquely but deals with I I'm what I'm interpreting as like state violence mm. and um and yeah just being complicit in mm. nationhood <sighs> and um so yeah that comes up in that poem for me um and I just think it's beautiful also. Like the language yeah. is so beautiful and the way it is on the page, which of course people can't see, but it's very it's very beautifully laid out on the mm-hmm. page. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I did have that sense of that there's something about collaboration and the way one can one can disappear inside multiple in a sort of an interesting way, like maybe a positive. I don't think there's a valence necessarily for me reading that, hearing that one mm-hmm. poem mm-hmm. of negative or positive, mm-hmm. but just that there's something happening. Mm-hmm. Um, beautiful so how did you find out about this how do you, and how do you find out about po- poetry to read like mm-hmm. how did this book come to you and do you search out uh, material right well as previously mentioned my partner is a poet so <laughs> I do like get a, actually they gave me this book so um, I um, yeah they're like they have like a they're you know, whatever, their finger on the pulse of lots of, lots of poetry that's happening. And uh-huh. yeah, so that's like very exciting and fun for me because I love poetry so much. And, yeah. Um, yeah. So that was initially how I, how I learned of this book. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think just, yeah, I don't know. I feel like well, where I live in the Bay area. Yeah. I've, I was going to say you, yeah. you're around a lot of poetry, Yeah. There's right? a lot of like even, yeah, for many years of living there, I feel like I, I'm friends with a lot of poets and writers and, and visual artists, and just people of different disciplines. And mm-hmm. so there's just, I, I feel like somehow in my life, there's conversation between those disciplines or I have friends who also are poets, but also performers or, you know, and just like working in different realms. And so then I just, you know, I mm-hmm. go to readings or mm-hmm. I, yeah. Do um, you think you go to more readings because your partner is a poet or do you, were you already? I was already uh, going to things, but I definitely like, go to more now too. <laughs> And they come to more dance performances. So. Okay, good. That's okay. <laughs> it's nice to cross pollinate. Yeah, that way. yeah. Um, so I, I'm, I hope you don't. I, I think this is a different question than what we were talking about earlier. Mm-hmm. For you, do you, do you, do you, could you articulate the relationship between poetry and dancing, poetry and movement, or poetry and choreography? Is there some like? Do you think about that? So again, the like the relationship for are they different? Me yeah, for you, my... how you think, how they, how you think about them, how you think about the two worlds, or and I might be forcing a division. Like I don't want to mm. do that, um, you know that. But but I think I like part of why I do this segment is because I'm interested in so many different artistic disciplines. But I often have felt the sort of dividing lines in mm-hmm. my life. Mm-hmm. Like you, what you choose to do and what you sort of do as a hobby and or you know or you secretly love and so in, 
I, I'm curious about why the, these things are important to you and how maybe what parts they inform in you that are the same or different. Cool. Yeah, no, that's a great question. <laughs> okay. I, I understand what you're asking. Um, I think, yeah, I feel many ways about it because I there is a way in which I feel like in terms of ma- being creative or making art that things are merged for me or that there's there's lots of conversation between these different mediums or different realms and that's important to me. Mm-hmm. I also feel like, yeah, people spend years with their craft and yes. with their form mm-hmm. and I feel like, yeah, what I've really focused on is performance and there's a way that that's primary also because it's what I've been studying and working with for so long. Mm-hmm. But I also do feel like it's really important to me to have these other forms and other ways of working that exist with it and not just like, oh, I do, yeah, not just like a hobby I do on the side, mm-hmm. but that it's they're really in deep conversation with each other. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think you know, the main kind of obvious difference between poetry or performance is just the the time element in terms of in performance, it's happening in the moment with people. And, you you know, there's many different ways that can happen or different kinds of audience and performer relationships, which I'm also really interested in. Mm-hmm. Not necessarily just you sit in the chair for an hour and a half and someone moves in front of you, you know, but um, the live element Uh is really different than writing something and then people look at it on their own time Mm -hmm. later I mean of course poets read and you know give readings and that's again more of a performance Mm -hmm. of your work and I I, I, and sometimes I feel like oh I love someone's work and I don't actually like hearing them read it or (laughs) I love hearing this person read I don't feel like reading it in the book you know which is really interesting to me because I'm interested in performance I'm interested in this thing of like what happens when we're in the room together um so, yeah, those are maybe a, mm-hmm. few, a few small answers yeah, no, about it. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, thank you. Um, thanks for humoring me with that, like, sort of unformed, but inarticulate, no, but clear, like, important question, I think. Um, do you want to read another poem? You know, I have this, um, I have this <laughs> Cecilia Vicuña book, um, and I think she's so amazing and actually I just was looking through it earlier and I found like the introduction to one of her one of these like sections in there that mm-hmm. I think is really beautiful it's oh, her great. writing but I thought I could just read that sure. more than read a poem of hers great and is it um so the book is a collection of her poetry yeah it's um it was very recently published and it's it's so it's some new work and also from many of her books throughout the years. Um, and Cecilia Vicuña, is, she's a Chilean, Chilean poet who also does performance, who does video, who makes visual art. Like, she's really, mm-hmm. like, she's doing everything to like mm-hmm. that she needs to do, kind of. So uh-huh. I really admire her work. Mm. Um, my friend Margaret, who's um, a, a dancer um, and also also does many things mm-hmm. but um she introduced me to Cecilia Vicuña's work mm-hmm. so um, and so this introduction is from one of the sections in this book yes exactly Great. okay yeah yeah that would be lovely this is from her this very large book that was recently published mm-hmm. called new and selected poems of Cecilia Vicuña and Great. the section this is from 
this book called Palabrarmas, which it says 1966 to, to 2015. So I guess she's been working on this body oh. of work for all of those years. Okay. Um, and this is the author's note mm. from that. Great. The Palabrarmas were born from a vision in which individual words opened up to reveal their inner associations, allowing ancient and newborn metaphors to come to light. In 1966, nearly a hundred of these words appeared. I called them divinations and ceased to think much about them. Then, in 1974, after the military coup in Chile, they appeared again, arming themselves with a name. Palabrarmas. Palabra, word. Labrar, to work. Armas, arms. Mas, more. Mm. A word that means to work words as one works the land is to work more. To think of what the work does is to arm yourself with the vision of words. And more, words are weapons, perhaps the only acceptable weapons. Well, <laughs> so as I understand it, these are words that came to her that mm-hmm. just uh, that arrived. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. is the, have you read the whole section? Is it a hundred? The, they don't have everything about? in there. And mm-hmm. I read in a different book of hers a while ago, I read many of them also, oh. but yeah. And, and some, some of them become poems and yeah. Mm-hmm. Anyway. Oh gosh. Now I want to read the whole thing. Yeah. <laughs> borrow it. Okay. Thank <laughs> um, that's, thank you very much. That's great. I, so I have one more question for you. Um, and I think we have time, if you don't mind. Yeah. Um, I know you're a teacher. You mentioned, well, we mentioned that in our introduction. Um, mm-hmm. You teach dance and movement. Am I right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so I wonder if you if you use poetry with your with students or in the in the teaching atmosphere, um, or if you use writing or and or how it might inform your teaching. Mm-hmm. That's a great question. <laughs> um, I so currently the main teaching that I do is working with adults with developmental disabilities and teaching dance Um, Mm -hmm. and they're all it's at an art studio called Nyad in uh, Richmond Uh Um, and so they're all visual artists so and also um, many or some of them don't necessarily read or write so I feel like um, language happens mostly through talking mm. and not through writing or reading. And also because they're visual artists, we work a lot with, with vision and with drawing and with painting and doing that together. Mm-hmm. So, um, which, you know, is a form of writing in a yeah. way. Yes. And so <laughs> um, is like oral language. Right. So. <laughs> right. Yeah, definitely. So that's, that's a lot of what I'm doing right now. Um, and then in other classes that I teach or have taught, I often have people like moving and writing. I don't usually bring in other sources, mm-hmm. but um, I have to, like friends of mine have taught classes where they've brought in texts and used them in movement, and I've really enjoyed it. So mm-hmm. I think there's so many ways to mm-hmm. do it. Um, but I definitely feel like because it's a big part of my process to write and to move mm-hmm. and to go between them, I have used that form mm-hmm. in classes. And it seems like you might in the future. Definitely. I will, I don't think I'll ever stop. So. Yeah. <laughs> stop doing that. Yeah. 
So maybe we could end with one more poem from what you brought. Sounds good. Um, and we really, really appreciate spending the time. So Likewise. Um, thank you so much. So what would you like to read for us? Um, well, maybe I'll just read one of the Palabrarmas Great. from Cecilia Vicuña. So, um And I'll again, I'll try to read it in Spanish and then in English. Oh, good. And um, do you know who did the translation on this? I can look. Oh, that's okay. There's several I'll... translators. Um, so I will, I, will, I will add that in the, the show notes so that people okay, both have the titles great. of the books and the, yeah. the information about the Yeah, so in this in this book, new book of hers, some of the translations are hers, and then there's maybe five other people that are, have translated them throughout. So, okay. Yeah. All right. Al abrir busca inventar, hallar sin venir un etimón, sentido verdadero que ya contiene lo que será, ir simultáneamente hacia adentro y hacia atrás, considerar el origen, es con y sideralmente contemplar el oriri, salir de los astros. Okay, that was a challenging one for me. There were some challenging words in there for me, but this is why I brought these books to practice. Um, Palabrir is to open words. Having lost the memory of the original meaning, we can invent an etiman, in parentheses, true meaning, one that contains within what the word will be. To go backward and inward simultaneously to contemplate the origins and the future, the ancient and current signified. To consider the origin is to contemplate, side really, study together the oriri, the coming out of the stars. To open words is to open oneself. Words want to speak, to listen to them is the first task. Oh, wow. <laughs> Thank you so much for reading both the Spanish and the English, but also bringing that such a gorgeous, gorgeous set of poems. Oh, thank you. Yeah. Hi. And thanks for being our guest today. Thank you so much, Fernanda. Yeah, it's so nice talking with you. Likewise. Really enjoyed it. Thank you again to our guest, Mara Poliak, for sitting down with us to record the interview you just heard. To follow up about them or about any of the poets and poems we mention here on the show, you can always check out our blog at hivepoetry.org. Again, that's hivepoetry.org. Or our Facebook page, which is the Hive Poetry Collective on KSQD. We have links and info on both of those places. And we love to hear from you. You can send us messages through either of those sites. Let us know what you like, what you want to hear more of, just how you're thinking about poetry these days. Again, you're listening to KSQD on 90.7 FM, and I am your host, Farnaz Fatimi. 
I want to get you up to date on some live readings online, some of which The Hive is presenting or sponsoring. We are excited to help present Santa Cruz's own Ellen Bass and the visiting Tracy Brimhall next Friday, May 15th, both reading from their new books and then taking questions. That will be an online event hosted by our friend Jory Post as part of Zoom Forward, a weekly literary event. Also in May, The Hive's Danusha Lamaris will read from and talk about her new book, Bonfire Opera, on Wednesday, May 20th. Again, that is Wednesday, May 20th, hosted by Catamaran Literary Reader, and that will also be an event on Zoom. You, again, check out our website or our Facebook page if you want to find out, find links to register for any of these events. The Hive is honored to co-sponsor the Zoom Forward series along with Bookshop Santa Cruz and especially Frenzy. We are so grateful for Jory Post's commitment to keeping literary culture alive during these really strange times. To see the schedule of Zoom Forward readers through June, and again, that's weekly, see events on our blog, hivepoetry.org. There's an events page. Or go to the Frenzy website, which is phren-z.org. Again, Frenzy, phren-z.org. And a reminder that we're on every Sunday at 8 o'clock. Next Sunday is our friend Dennis Morton and the Poetry Show. So do tune in next Sunday for Dennis Morton and the Poetry Show. And we will be back every other Sunday. For the rest of the evening, we have a few minutes. And I thought I would share just a few more poems, starting with a couple that Mara sent me when I asked them to send me poems to connect the interview to our current situation. And these last two, one is by Lorca and one is Samuel Ace. So I will begin with the, the poem by Lorca, and I'm sorry, it's only in translation, by Stanley Reed. Schematic Nocturne, fennel, serpent, and rush, aroma, scent, and penumbra, air, earth, and solitude. The ladder reaches to the moon. Again, that was by Lorca. And the other poem is a little bit longer. Again, the author is Samuel Ace. Its title is A Date, November 25th, 8.44 and 20 seconds a.m. Of course, I could still be on that white and beige linoleum floor, in the lining of a voice, in the pint scent kitchen. I could be there standing in line for sloppy joes, hearing a breath, a voice above the others, traces of alto of tenor, syllables heard first in my thighs, a laugh in the silver-gloved hands of handbells, in a cello, in dirty blonde hair, in the saddle of a camel's back. Do you still in stirrings? Do you still in limbs? Do you still, I look, 
Do you still I am? Do you still identify? Do you still care? Do you still know? Do you still travel? Do you see the northern lights? Do you still sing? Do you still regret? Do you still I say? Do you still in thighs? Do you still stir? Do you grow a beard? Do you still carry? Do you still trouble? Do you enter this house? Do you leave behind? And again, that was a poem by Samuel Ace. And I thought I would end with one poem from Tracy Brimhall as a preview for that reading that's coming up this Friday. And I didn't mention the name of her new book is, it's from Copper Canyon Press, and it's named Come the Slumberless to the Land of Nod. Come the Slumberless to the Land of Nod. And this is from the book. It is titled Fledgling by Tracy Brimhall. I scare away rabbits, stripping the strawberries in the garden, ripened ovaries reddening their mouths. You take down the hanging basket and show it to our son, a nest secret as a heart throbbing between flowers. Look, but don't touch, you instruct our son, who has already begun to reach for the black globes of a new bird's eyes, wanting to touch the world, to know it. Disappointed, you say, common house finch, as if even banal miracles aren't still pink and blind and heaving with life. When the cat your ex-wife gave you died, I was grateful. I'd never seen a man grieve like that for an animal. I held you like a victory, embarrassed and relieved that this was how you loved, to the bone of you, to the meat. And we want the stricken pleasure of intimacy, so we risk it. We do. Every day we take down the basket and prove it to our son. Just look at its rawness, its tenderness, its almost flying. So, to end, I wish you to risk it. This is Farnas Fatimi. You've been listening to The Hive Poetry Collective. We're on 90.7 FM KSQD in Santa Cruz. Again, thanks for listening. And until next time, take good care.